We will look to the scriptures here in just a few moments, and we'll be reading from the book of Luke chapter 3 here in just a minute. And so if you want to get your Bibles and turn there, I'd like to make a few preliminary comments before we look to the scriptures this, this evening. Um, this, this morning I unprompted woke up at 5.52 in the morning and uh, I don't even think I had gotten out of bed yet and I popped up pretty quick before this song came to my mind, this lyric to a song and it was strength for today, glad hopes for tomorrow, blessings all mine and 10,000 beside. I moseyed into the bathroom and showered and got ready and left early this morning and just kept singing that song, that little line that stands of that song. And today I felt very good. I know um, some of you that walked in asked me how I felt. and I told them, I said, we've been going 11 days now and, and I feel so refreshed after last night's spiritual visitation that I'm ready to go another 11, and um, I mean that, I mean that, I mean that because consider the alternative, sometimes whenever I pray, and I really feel like I'm talking to the Lord, and I get to the end of my prayer, sometimes I'll just keep repeating, Lord, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. And what I mean is I'm right here with him. And right at his feet in his presence, that is the abundant life. And I know myself. And I know I may go back to my religiosity and my ways, some of which aren't bad, some of which are necessary duties that we're responsible to commit and to perform. But I don't like being there. I like being with him. And so as you balance out tonight, I want to say maybe two things before we read our scripture reading. Later in the service, if the Lord burdens us to go on, know, along with, I think, Brother Eaton said last night, uh, you're, you're not going to bother me to go on at all. And I want to make that very clear. Um, if I have to, I'll call them and say I can't come. Right? Um, what's going on here is important. And they've got a pastor, and he's understanding, and they, some of their members assured me today, they said, why'd you even come? Just, if you need to stay, you just stay. And uh, so I want you to know, to begin with, that uh, my heart is here at this place. I asked the Lord as I was driving this morning, I said, Lord, this morning, have my heart in Lexington, Tennessee. And when it's done, put it back in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And I feel as though he has done that, and I'm grateful that the Lord has, and so on one hand, uh, and again, I'm not trying to push us any direction. I just felt the need to say that as a, as a preliminary to anything. And the second thing I'd like to say is as you 
balance in your own heart and mind, your own tiredness. Again, weigh in the balance the alternative to going back. We're going to rest. There's coming a day here in the not too near future where we're, we're going to rest. But let the spiritual man guide you, not the carnal man. And if the spiritual man says, press on, then let's press on. If the spiritual man says, that's enough, then let's go rest. But I felt the need to say that before we get too deep in our service tonight for your consideration, perhaps later in the service. We do want to take a scripture reading uh, this, this evening. And so we ask again that you turn to the book of Luke, chapter 3. And we're going to read the first six verses of that chapter and take our thoughts from, from what's said here. Luke chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and of the, the region of Trachonitis, and Licinius, the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And that will conclude our reading this evening. That's Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And forgive some of the mistakes I made in that first verse. Some difficult pronunciation there. The title of our message this evening is Seeking the Lord. Seeking the Lord. So I was driving back today. I, I had a nice long journey to, to come back and I got to thinking. The words that we've told our lost people all week is, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. If the Lord bids you to come, seek the Lord. And we find that exhortation throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. That both God's people as well as those that are lost, are being instructed to seek the Lord. And then I thought, maybe a, a very elementary thought, and that was this, what does that mean? Like that's, a, that's an analogy meaning something, right? We don't actually go and, and physically walk and, and start looking for the Lord. So what does seek the Lord really mean? And so I got to praying about it. I got to thinking. I got to searching through the scriptures that I know in my mind and just thinking, Lord, what does that mean? When I instruct a, a lost person and I say, seek the Lord, and I'll say this. I think sometimes lost people, and I believe our last revival, Sister Melanie mentioned this, that sometimes they get lost in our jargon. We say all these words and all these phrases, some of which are good and biblical, and we ought not to be discouraged from using them, but nonetheless, what does that mean? So I began to pray and, and just really meditate on it a little bit. And then I got to thinking, you know, 
What does it mean to seek anything else? Occasionally, I'll, with a house full of boys, I'll lose my keys or I'll lose my phone or I'll lose something valuable to me. And so I'll say, boys, go look for this. Go find this. And so what they have to do is go and seek after it. And I got to wonder, you know, what am I really instructing to do? What is the problem going on here? And my mind and heart went to this scripture text. And it really is crouched into what John the Baptist has been called by God as the forerunner to the Messiah, what he himself was called to do as his role for entrance or for laying out the red carpet for the Messiah to come. And it's really tucked into that fifth verse. Listen to what it says was the job of John the Baptist when he came. The Bible says in verse four that it was to prepare the way of the Lord. That's what he was supposed to do. Again, the inquisitive mind. I sometimes just can't help myself. I'm, I'm a little simple at times. What does that mean? Prepare the way of the Lord. Well, then in verse five, he tells us. He says, I want every valley filled. I want every mountain and hill brought low. I want every crooked road made straight. Unto what purpose? Verse six. So that the whole earth can see the salvation of the Lord. In other words, this is what I'm saying. Our lost people tonight, there is something obstructing their view from the Lord. God wants to bring them near. God wants to unite himself and become one with them that they might know him in a free pardon of sin, that they might come into deep relationship with him, that he might save them from an afterlife that, that has been talked about of destruction and doom even this very night. And they need to come to the Lord and be in his presence. And yet what we find is that there are many obstacles that are in the way. And the way that the writer here that John the Baptist is preaching, he's saying, my job is to come and anything that could be an obstacle in the way of People seeing Jesus Christ, my job is to eliminate it. And so in some cases, it's a big valley that's really deep. And when my wife and I went to Alaska and we wanted to climb the mountain, what we learned was that the first thing we had to do is go way down deep in the valley. And sometimes it was harder to go and find that path down through the valley, traverse across the little creek that was down there and get across just to the foot of the mountain than it was to actually get to the top of the mountain. Because what I'm saying is the valley was an obstacle. It would have been nice had it all been filled and we could have just right, walked right up to the foot of the mountain. But we couldn't. Because you see on the other side of that mountain was a city. And that city was lying on the Pacific Ocean. And it's probably the most majestic thing I've ever seen in my life. I've told you about it before. And so before we could get there we had to go down in the valley and we had to climb up in the mountain before we could see God's beautiful creation. You see here what he's saying is that sometimes preventing people from ever being saved, I'm not going to say sometimes, I'm going to say all the time, there are obstacles in people's way preventing them from seeing the Lord. And if you're lost tonight, I want you to ask yourself this question. I want you to ask the Lord this question. What is the obstacle preventing me from finding and seeing you? 
What is it? You know, sometimes I could acknowledge when I was lost, I don't know what it was. And so I don't want you to spend your time searching after it. But oftentimes what I have found in my own life is that there are things that are preventing me from drawing close to God. And down deep in my mind and heart, I know what it is. I know there is something there. I know there is a lifestyle choice that I am clinging on to. I know that there is something I don't want to surrender that I am putting in the place of God as an idol that I'm worshiping. And although I don't imagine it as such, I know that it's there and have God directly confronted me and say, tear that idol down and worship me and me alone. I would have a lot of trouble in my heart. And so very often down in the recess of my mind and my heart, I know what it is standing in my way. I'm not saying you do. I'm just saying there are times where I do. And we find all throughout the scriptures that there are various obstacles in what he's told the church. And I'll even add what I think this church has done a wonderful job these last number of months doing is doing everything in our power to eliminate the obstacles that we could be or that could possibly be in the lives or in the, in the, the minds of these lost loved ones. I believe many people in this church against their normal behavior in church has testified often, have spoken out when God told him to have sought after God and say, Lord, here I am. Can I participate in the service? And so lost friend tonight, I want you to know that you are surrounded by a group of people who have striven week after week and month after month to do what John the Baptist was called to do. And that is eliminate all the obstacles so that when you begin to seek after God, you can find him. The church can make it easier on people finding the Lord because they can eliminate any obstacles that could arise. Not all of them, but many of the obstacles that could arise between you and the Lord, the church can get in the middle of. I want to talk about just a couple obstacles tonight. I'm not going to be long this evening. That can arise. The first one is probably the biggest one to most of the people in the history of the world and yet the smallest one to us. And that is the availability of the message. Before a person can get saved, they have to hear. They're not just praying to some unknown God as they were in Acts 17. They're not just bowing down and throwing out random things up to the stars and saying, if you're up there, save me, and then God saves them like that. That's not how it happens. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing. Well, faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. The Bible says and by, uh, and, uh, that by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we know at the central of salvation is the need for faith. And Romans 10, 17 tells us, and faith comes by hearing. And so... One of the reasons why we here are preeminently blessed upon all people in the history of the world is because God has eliminated the greatest obstacle that mankind has ever known, and that is the message, the saving message of Jesus Christ. We have that message, and it is so readily available in so many forms that we have the luxury of saying, I don't like that preacher, I don't like that preacher, I don't like, but I like that one. Right? It's so available to us. We can say, I, I don't like this version. I want one of these other 10 versions of the Bible. It is in such amazing 
access that God has granted us. But you know, most people die and largely go to hell because the biggest obstacle they face is not having the message of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying God doesn't work in their heart. I'm not saying God does not reveal himself. But I'm saying with pristine clarity, we have the message. There was a man. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible because he had a big obstacle. I'm sure like you, perhaps Hollywood has created this in my mind and heart. I love an underdog story. I love someone who fights and fights and fights and fights and then finally is successful. And what I see in this man, we don't know a lot about him. We don't know his name. We only know his, well, presumably his skin color and something else about him. That's the Ethiopian eunuch. I love that story. And I can't help whenever I talk about seeking the Lord to always reference that man. And here's the reason. Because of the obstacle in his way. Really, there are two obstacles in his way. The first one is the greatest desert in the world. The Sahara Desert. You know, it's interesting. People often that believe all you have to do is accept Christ, all you have to do is say words, they'll point to the Ethiopian eunuch. You'll say, look, he just said, what do I have to do to be saved? And Philip Lignum said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And so he says, well, I believe. And he says, okay, let's baptize you. And they say, you see, there was no seeking there. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's go back a little bit. What do you mean there was no seeking there? That man sought more than any other man I've ever read about in all of human history. That man spent night after night going across that blazing hot desert with a question. And what was at the core of the question? What is this message? Isaiah 53 lays out the most beautiful depiction, I believe, of the Old and in the New Testament of the coming of the Messiah, giving his life for our sins and that redemption could be found in him. And here the man is walking and walking and walking and what he can't understand is the message. What is this man talking? Is he talking about himself or some other man? And the Bible says that Philip began right where he was at and began to teach him about Jesus Christ. Obstacle that is usually the greatest for most people but is not great for us is the availability of the message. But here's the one that often is the biggest problem for us. It's the cost of the message. Just because, you know, the world has confused, just because you understand the message, just because you assent that it's true, thus you've obeyed the message. Now, don't we find our lost people, that's what they're struggling with, many of them. You know, I've thought, I was, I was 10 years old when I got saved. I became lost about eight and a half. I was in the third grade in a bathroom, and probably around the month of March or April. I got saved a year and a half later in October. So it was about a year and a half, if I did my mouth right there. And I, the knowing myself now and who I grew up to be, I'm so thankful that God saved me at an early age because I'm an overthinker. I mean, it's something that God has had to help me with, that I've tried to take to his feet and say, Lord, crucify that part of me because I've struggled, especially to the point in the past where it caused paralysis, where I couldn't function because of overthinking things. 
And I'll tell you what I often would have thought had I gotten to the age of 15 or 16 or 18 or 20 years old being lost. It was the same thing that I thought about when I was 17 and I got called to preach. It's that he requires everything. Frankly, I don't want to give everything. So here's what happened when I got called to preach. I'm 17 years old. And like Brother Eaton's referenced a couple times this week about himself, I think him and I's personalities are very same in this. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm not doing this little side preacher thing on, on or this preacher gig on the side. I'm not going to, you know, ease my conscience by preaching once in a great while. I mean, I'm going to pursue Christ with everything that's in me, or I'm not. I'm going to live in a state of obedience and do all that I can to serve him because he deserves it, or I'm going to live in a state of disobedience. I don't want to ease my conscience. I got called to preach. I was just telling Judson, he asked me about it, or Emmett asked me about it just two nights ago. He said, Dad, why are you a preacher? I said, well, I was, went to this youth weekend. It was all spiritual out in Missouri and at Calvary, and I mean, the presence of the Lord was there. I drove back with two of my friends, and man, it was just the conversation on the way home was about the big issues in life that we're facing, the things that are before us, and how we want to follow the Lord, and how we want to do what's right, but how we're afraid of going back to the normal, how we're afraid of going back to school, how we're afraid because we know something has changed us out here, but we also know the very real threat of falling back into Ways of life that perhaps we shouldn't when we go back there. And so we have this conversation where three teenage boys are crying to each other. Talk about how many times that happens in your life, right? And we're sharing these things and they're heavy. And so here's what we decide to do. It's about 11, 1130 at night and we're about to, I'm about to drop one of my friends off at, this park, or at his house. And he says, right over here is a gazebo in this park. Can we go and pray for each other? So we went down and I don't know why I'm sharing this, but we went down and we began to pray for each other in the middle of this public park at 1130 at night. And we just start praying, Lord, to help each other, to prevent us from falling to temptation, to keep our lives on the straight and narrow. And I remember particularly one thing that we talked about was how many of our peers, as they got older, had been lost to the world. How we didn't want to do that. But we knew the real possibility that it was. So we prayed to drop the first friend off about midnight. Drove over to the other friend's dad's house, dropped him off about 12, 31 o'clock in the morning. He shuts the door, and I can still see it. He was walking across the front of my car, and God just said to preach. I don't, I don't, let me correct that. He didn't say anything. There was just a wait. And I don't know why, I just knew what it was. It wasn't words. What, I just knew that's what it was. And all the way home, it was about a 40-minute drive home, I just wept. And here's what I wept about. If I'm going to follow you, I've got to give it all up. And even now, that's hard. Like, even now, there are days where I'm like, you know, I have a coworker. Today was my uh, first day that I was supposed to, if I had had my previous job, this is our first day back to school. So, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot today, about school and one of my coworkers quit with me, and she's going to law school. And, you know, if I'm being really honest, that's something that would have been a dream, you know? Like, I, I for fun, read legal cases, you know, like people don't do that, right? 
Like, that's always been this, like, love that I have. I remember the day that the gay marriage case came out. I read all, almost 200 pages that day just because I was wanting to read it. You know, I was just, just curious. I was devastated, but I just, I had to give it up. And that day as I'm driving home, I'm, I'm just, I'm wrestling and I'm fighting because I know that there is, and here's what went through my mind and still does today, there is enough to be done in our little area that if every person in this room quit their job and went full time trying to persuade people to follow Christ, there would still be room for many more people to do the same just in Warren County. And so I thought, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. But then what would come back to my mind is, but I don't want to. I want to do what I want to do. And for about 18 hours, I mean, it was miserable. And it was because the ministry came at a cost. And listen to me, it's the same cost that was required when I got saved. Remember that rich young ruler we read about earlier in the week? He comes and he says, what's the message, Lord? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? So the best preacher ever tells him with great clarity. And then what does the Bible say? Or what does the Bible say? That when he heard this, he went away sorrowful. Essentially, it says because he had great possessions. Because what? He wouldn't give up great possessions. So here's where my mind goes to teenagers today. In our culture, even more than when I was younger, there's so much value put on sports and being the star, right? You gotta have, you gotta be in the newspaper, you gotta do all these things, you gotta win these awards, gotta. And yet, truly, if you're ever gonna find the Lord, you have to be willing to abandon it all. Say, Lord, I want you more than any of that. And if you were to tell me to give it up, Lord, I'll do it willingly and follow you. Man, that's a hard thing to do. Let me ask you this question tonight, lost friend. In seeking after the Lord, is that why you're having a hard time giving up? Is that the obstacle? Is that there are some things. Here's another one. I would say um, the message that we preach is pretty hardcore. I mean, really, if you preach the message of the scriptures right, it's radical. It takes a radical, you, you cannot, please hear me, you cannot follow and serve God in obedience and do what you want. You can't. Now listen, we've perhaps been diluting that message for many years and the fruits of that dilution is with us today. And yet, the message still stands. Forsake it all and follow me. Are you willing to give that up tonight? You know, I've been thinking, there's been a few times this week that my mind goes back to this vacation Bible school that we had. And I was required, our Sunday schools, all of our Sunday schools had to memorize the entire 11th chapter of Hebrews. Not that each kid did, but we all had a little portion of it. And I remember my portion of it. 
and it has become, as I read the book of Hebrews, very personal to me, probably because it's been with me for so long. I want to make sure that I don't miss any of it word for word. I want to back up a verse from what I memorized. Here's what it is about Moses. And listen to this verse. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in heaven. Let me translate that for just a moment. I'd rather suffer, be ridiculed, be poor with the people of God because that's richer than going with the world. Now listen, here's what I testify to you today. I'm so glad God saved me at 10 because it had been 15 or 20. Knowing who I am and knowing my mind, I'm afraid that as I weighed those things in the balance, I'd have come to the wrong conclusion. And I'd have said, I want the riches of Egypt. That's an obstacle, friend. And if God is ever going to save you, you've got to abandon it. You've got to leave it. Here's the last one I'm going to cover tonight. An obstacle for many people that we find all through scriptures is pride. Pride. To really appreciate, Brother, Brother Eaton this week quoted uh, King Agrippa in Acts 26, and he said um, the famous line that he says, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. What I love about the story is the visual the Bible gives us the, the chapter before that you don't see in that chapter. you got to go back and read, I think, starting in verse 23 of chapter 25 to really get the whole picture. He says, First, Festus, this man, brought... Now, now, I want you to hear me this morning, lost friend, because this is what Satan does in your mind with your friends, with your hopes, with your dreams, with your future. This is what Satan does. Ready? Paul, the Christian, is brought in in chains, beaten and rugged. Nobody would want to be like that man standing in front of those people. And so Festus brings him in in almost a circus-like atmosphere, ridiculing, mocking, making fun. Beginning in the previous chapter, it says this. As he brings him in, he brings in all the great men and all the great women, and it uses the word pomp. You know what that word means, right? All the, the big things, the, the, the celebration, the excitement. It's, it's an event, and here's this little poor Christian coming in. I'm under no delusions today that that's what old union looks like in America today. I mean, really. Like you go and you Google Missionary Baptist Church, nothing pops up on Google, right, to define us as a people. If you're not on Google, you're nowhere, right? That's what the world would have you believe. all the pomp and circumstance. There he is, standing in chains. And there the great royalty comes in, King Agrippa and Bernice, and they're bringing him before this man. And so what does Paul do? He faithfully tells his story. You know, you'd think Paul the Apostle standing in front of a bunch of important people. I've always been just amazed at what he does. He doesn't get into deep theology of the Jews. 
though King Agrippa was schooled in that. It tells us at the end of chapter 26 that King Agrippa knew those things. He knew about the Jewish way. Actually, in Luke 3, what we just read, it says that he was over the Jewish people in Judea. He was very well acquainted with those customs. Paul doesn't talk about that. Paul doesn't go into any number of things he could have. What does he do? He says, King Agrippa, something happened to me. And so for the third time in the book of Acts, he tells his testimony, his experience. He's at midday, O king. I saw this great light. You know the interesting thing about Paul's conversion? He saw the light and nobody else did. I feel like that in America today. Really, I do. I talk to friends outside of church. They're seeing a different light. The light of career, the light of Hollywood, the light of fun and I'm like, don't you see the great light? Like, how can you even see those other lights for that great light? The sun comes out, you can't see the stars. And here's the great light of the purpose that your creator created you individually, that he providentially walks with you through this life, that he allows the unfoldings of your life to happen for a greater purpose, that you can lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And God is speaking. And, and, and since I was a young boy, I've heard that message and it's so resonated. And I hear the light of the gospel. And I'm like, folks, don't you see that? Like, don't you see how great God is and his plan is for this world and for every individual? Don't you see it? I wonder sometimes at other Christians, and I'm like, how do you pursue the world like that? How? Don't you see beyond what you can see? Oh, at midday, O king, I saw a great light. And I fell. And it was so great, it blinded me. What did it blind him from? Everything he'd been seeing. I don't see it anymore. I can't see it anymore. The thought of pursuing a career literally makes me want to vomit. Like that I would waste my life over something like that. I'm not saying don't be good at your job. I'm not saying don't have an integrity in your workplace. Don't take it to an extreme. What I'm saying is where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And the thought that I would want my heart at, at a place where when I, when I retire, they'll forget about me. Well, I'll be relegated to a picture on a wall or not even that in most places, to a plaque with your name on it and the day you retired. And then the people will follow and they'll look and they'll say, Bradley Hicks, who is that? And everybody will say, I don't know. And then one person say, I worked with him my first or second year when I was teaching, to think that the entirety of my life would be that. When the light is shining. And then, amidst the light shining, a voice speaks. And you know what it says? My name. That's what he said. God knew Paul's name, and he called it out loud. He said, Saul, lost friend, it is nothing short of miraculous.
that when you're under conviction, God calls your name. I mean, if you just, if, if you could encapsulate just one millionth of who God is, one billionth of who God is, and the value that that one billionth of God has, and that He pays attention to you, man. And that he pays attention to you because it's tucked into his love for you. I can't, I can't, I can't even, I can't even think about it without being humbled beyond words. And he calls out to him in the midst of his sin. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> the Bible says, no man seeketh after God. No, God seeks after us. And then gives us the privilege to seek after him back. God says, I'm behind the mountain. Just to let you know, I'm behind the mountain. And you hear this voice. You say, where'd that come from? Or you say, I didn't like that message. It said to climb the mountain. And God says, no, I'm on the other side of the mountain. And then you don't respond, lost friend. That's like the preaching of the gospel sometimes, you know. So then what does God do? He says, Tim Eaton, your calling in life is to spread the good news, to travel through the obstacles, to lost people hidden in the valley that have heard my voice but won't respond. So listen to what he does. He puts an imposition on this man right here. And this man is called to forsake all and follow him to come to you. And so he gives up, and he's illustrated some of that this week opportunities for nice things. Why? So that he can go herald. And you know, here's the amazing thing. Herald to whom? Usually strangers. I stood in the church this morning, maybe five people's names I could call. And you know what? God is my witness. I'm happy to do it. Like, if we want to go on, here's what I would tell you. Don't deprive me of the opportunity to serve those people and to serve you. Like, if God tells us to go on, don't steal that from me. Let me serve you. That's what I want to do. God puts an imposition on this man to go and herald, and he says, go over the mountain. And so in the midst of hard circumstances in life, losing family members and the pain that goes along with it, being betrayed by people, being in pain, going through all these things, what is, that's why the Bible says how beautiful are those that preach the good tidings of joy, Right? I don't talk about it a lot because it sounds like I'm just sitting here going, good job, good job. No, what I'm saying is it's a wonderful thing that God sent a messenger when people refuse to listen. He removes an obstacle and he says, you know what he does? He sends people to a local church and he makes us make relationships with you, with each other. You know, my hope is that I just become one of you. That's what I'm trying to do. You know? Like when I pastored, the last church I pastored, I saw those people a ton more than I saw my family. I spent a lot more time than that with them than I did my family. And when I had trouble, guess what I did? Purposely called them. Why? Because that's what the church is meant to do. I could have called my family. It had been easier. But part of what connects us, the bond that grows deeper, is not just when we're celebrating good things, it's when we're struggling in the valleys. So he sends that. And he goes, there, that man, he, Jesus calls out his name personally. And amongst all that 
big pomp and circumstance. Paul tells his story about what God did. And he says, can you grab What could I have done but gone and surrendered to that? So a man pipes up. This can be a lot of people in your life. It can be Satan in your, in your mind, ridiculing the preacher. That's okay. Ridiculing the dear sister that prays so hard or that testifies so hard. Ridiculing the singer that gets off key a little bit because they're nervous to follow the Lord. And you ridicule them in your mind. Or it can just be people who think it sounds stupid that you have a feeling when you get saved. Whatever it is doesn't matter. Festus speaks up. says this. Much learning doth make you mad. Or you've gone off the deep end now. You know what Paul says? He doesn't worry about that. Say, friend, don't worry about it. You know what? It's what they've always been doing. It's what they're always going to do. You know what happened to you. You know when God's speaking to you. You know when he tells you to move in service. Just do it. Just do it. He says, I'm not mad. He says in a very respectful manner. I can't remember exactly how it, but he says something like, I'm not mad, O king. I'm not crazy. What does that mean? Soft answer tur- a soft answer turns away wrath is what the Bible says. Remember what Eli- Eliab, when he yells at David there, he come down here to see the battle. David just says, you know, I'm not going to pay attention to that. I'm going to keep doing what's right and preaching the gospel. I'm going to keep on saying what's right. I'm going to go face this Philistine. He looks at him and he says, King Agrippa, I know these things weren't done in a secret. I know you believe. Lost friend, here's the hard thing where you're at right now. The lost people in our church. I know you believe what we're telling you. I don't think you're saying, you know what? Forget those people. I don't think you're thinking all these mean, hateful thoughts. You're saying, that Jesus, I don't want anything. I don't think you're thinking that. One bit. But what I'll tell you is this. There's still an obstacle in your way. I don't know what it is. But here's what happened. And I'm going to close. That pomp and circumstance and that powerful preacher stands before that man. That, excuse me, that preacher with power. There's a difference. right? He didn't have power himself. God gave him power. And he says, this wasn't done in, in, in secret. I got to read this part to you. Because here's what I hear in the voice. You know, one thing that I lament about the scriptures is you can't hear the tone. But here's how I imagine the tone. Here, he says this. Festus said, I'm going to, you know, I don't do this very often. Indulge me for just one minute. I'm going to enact it, how I imagine it taking place. All the pomp and circumstance, all the ridicule as he's going through it, and here that man Festus steps up and says what? Paul, <laughs> thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. <laughs> and all the hundreds laughing with him. And Paul standing in bonds. What does he say? I'm not mad, most noble Festus. But speaketh forth the words of truth and soberness. Again, this is dangerous to say, but in my mind's eye, I imagine 
the room goes silent. You ridicule somebody, you punch somebody, they're supposed to punch back. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. And then he ignores Festus and he looks right into the eyes of King Agrippa and here's what he says. King Agrippa, I know that thou believest. Speculation, completely mine. If you don't believe it, that's okay. I'm not telling you to. Speculation, completely mine. I think those people are laughing and King Agrippa is acting exactly like Pilate does when Jesus is standing before him. He's frozen between the power that he feels that is breaking and shattering all the strongholds of his heart. He's between that world and all the noise around him. Pilate, they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him. They're a mob. They're yelling. They're demanding answers. They've got a time constraint. They're saying, hurry up. You have the power to do this. Hurry up. Crucify him. And he's saying, but your story doesn't make sense. Your witnesses contradicted themselves. This man has done nothing amiss. He's innocent. Let me release a prisoner to you. And he finds the most wicked one to escape the decision, knowing for certain they'll choose Barabbas, or excuse me, Jesus to let go. And what do they cry out? We want Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And then he has to make a choice. Oh, lost friend, that is the hard thing. That is the hard thing. Is when the obstacle is before you, you either choose to seek the Lord or cave to the obstacle. You can't have both. Oh, the sympathy when I read Pilate. Like, if he's in hell today, it hurts. It hurts my soul because I see myself in that man. Lost friend, I'm telling you today, I've tried to tell you tonight, I see myself in you. I know that some of the obstacles you face, had I faced those later in life, I may have succumbed to them. I'm not trying to make you feel better by saying I feel for you. He looks at King Agrippa and he says, I know that thou believest. Then King Agrippa says unto Paul, as the whole room is looking at him, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Again, just from this pomp and circumstance, just from human nature, all I can deduce is that the people walked away and could not help but talk about the strange response that, that Agrippa had. We were all laughing, but he wasn't. We were all ridiculing, but did you see the look in his eyes? Lost friend tonight, I don't deny that there are obstacles in front of you. I don't deny that at all. 
And they're deep valleys and they may be deeper than the ones that I had to cross and they might be higher mountains than I ever had to cross. But listen, your church is doing everything they can to eliminate the obstacles. And so what I tell you tonight is seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Listen, he's been near. You wonder why all these saved people keep coming back to church? Because he's been here. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man his thought. And let him return himself unto the Lord who abundantly pardons. God will pardon you tonight. You have obstacles in your way. I don't know what they are. You may not know what they are. But listen, keep seeking the Lord. Keep seeking the Lord. And you'll be found of Him tonight. If you feel God calling you to seek Him, if you're halfway up the mountain and you're feeling compelled, and that voice is saying, just over the hilltop, just over the mountaintop, just keep on coming. I'm right here. Come keep seeking me. I want to save you. I'm going to secure you for all of eternity. I love you. There's nothing behind you worth going back to. If you hear the voice of God beckoning and calling and calling, friend, don't let an obstacle stop you from finding the Lord. Seek him tonight. I don't even want to have a song. I want us all to pray. Let's pray for these lost people. We're tired. We're all, they're probably more tired than any of us are. They're probably more discouraged than any of us. Let us pray that God would soften these obstacles as we have prayed night after night after night and beg God to give them a desirous heart to seek him tonight. Let's all bow. I want to call everybody in. Let's call, come in and pray for these lost people tonight.